0: And
1: now, The Low Post.
0: Welcome to The Low Post Podcast. It's Thursday afternoon, fresh off hosting NBA today. We're going to talk about a lot of stuff. The one and only Chanae Agumake, how are you?
2: I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Today was an interesting hosting day. Hey, you have good days. You have bad days. You have in-between days. But we move.
0: We move. Is that what the kids say? We move. Uh, I I have only <laughs> bad and in-between days. I have not had a good day in a long time. Um, Chanae. Uh, let's let's rapid fire go through some stuff. We've had we've had some time for the dust to settle. The Bucks Celtics arms race is for now complete at a detente. The Bucks got Damian Lillard. The Celtics swooped in and got Drew Holiday, who played for the Bucks eight days ago and no longer plays for the Bucks. Um, we've exhausted the strengths and weaknesses of each team. Clear top two in the East. I want to go this route. Um, When you think of these two teams playing against each other, which is where my mind has been wandering now, because Philly is just like, oh, James showed up. Oh, good. James was in most of practice, some of practice. Here are some photos. Here are some videos. I think Cleveland's pretty good. New York's pretty good. Miami is Miami. Can't count out Miami. But these two teams start head and shoulders above everyone else. And they've, they're circling each other. Do you have any initial thoughts on how they match up with each other, if they played today in a real meaningful game, what would you be looking at, looking for? Like, What's interesting to you?
2: I just think about the circle of life, right? The names that we've been speaking of the last week or so. And the circle of life starts with James Harden, and I'll get to the Bucks in a second. When James Harden tag-teamed with Joel Embiid, we had this idea that this would be the best pick and roll in basketball, right? Past the Brooklyn Nets' best theoretical team ever. Like, I'm I'm starting a, a, on that page of James Harden and Joel Embiid. We got so excited. I think my excitement for the Bucks has tripled because now we have Dame Lillard and Giannis Antetokounmpo in this pick and roll. And to me, I'm just like, okay, it just keeps getting better and better in the NBA. And so as the dust has settled, the realities are such that these two players both all 75 guys both dominant in their own ways if they figure it out you have this idea that all right like who can beat them in the east now then it comes to like is it better to have a dynamic duo or more of a complete squad and roster and you're looking at Boston and Drew Holiday there in the circle of life and so you know I I just I'm very excited because I feel like you can never take a day off in the NBA just when you feel like you get an advantage, boom, out of nowhere, or as Perk says, BAM. Something else happens to get you get you like worked up. And that pick and roll in Milwaukee to me like has my heart right now, even though I do like the the more balanced perimeter offense and defense of the Celtics.
0: So I've been thinking advantages each team has over each other. You know, what are the what are the soft points? That you can pick at. And if you ranked if you just ranked the players on these two teams, like best to twentieth, the Bucks have the best guy. Mm-hmm. That's Giannis. I would put Tatum second and Dame third. And then there's like a drop to a cluster of awesome players who are below that. So the Bucks chief advantage is they have two of the top three players, and those players complement each other beautifully. And in exactly the way that the Bucks need to loosen up what has been a clunky half-court offense, and create this absolutely unswitchable, unguardable <laughs> pick and roll—you can't switch it. Like there's no—the Celtics have one guy left who's a proven Giannis defender, Al Horford. You cannot switch Al Horford onto Damian Lillard, even if you were com- <laughs> even if you were comfortable being like we can switch Dame's guy onto Giannis, whether it's Drew or Jalen Brown, or Derek White. And yeah, that guy will be the size disadvantage, but Giannis will post him up, will help, will do all sorts of funny stuff. You got Dame and Al Horford at the top. That's a bad deal for Al Horford. That's the Bucks' main advantage. That and that the Celtics have lost their either most frequent or second most frequent Giannis defender in Grant Williams and probably like one of the top five in Marcus Smart. That pick and roll is going to be awesome, and yeah, the Celtics are going to have a lot of defensive answers for it that we can talk about. It is immediately the best two-man game in the NBA. It is a nuclear effect on the Bucs' offense. Um, <laughs> I cannot wait to see it. And that that's where you start in terms of, okay, what does Milwaukee have going for it that Boston's going to have a hard time countering?
2: And Zach, you called that Milwaukee offense clunky. I, pe- I think people take for granted the fact that because Giannis is so dominant the way he plays and the Bucks have been so consistent in their outcomes, being like a team that touches 60 wins almost like you know most years of the past four or five years, that they have overlooked the fact that they were 15th in offensive rating. Like a team that good should not be that low. Well, and, and more so- specifically,
0: their half-court offense was – like not very good in the playoffs every year, even when they won the championship.
2: Exactly. And I think that that's what they hedge their bets on that Dame can sort of free them with early transition buckets that pick and roll offense can make things a little bit less predictable and less scoutable and more free flowing at the expense potentially of their defense to some degree, because what drew brings also knowing that Marcus smart is gone, but like still people don't talk about Drew's defense as much. You know, they talk about how he's an all-star again and how he's been, like, that that thread that holds everything in between. But his ability to be two-way, I think, and also his ability to hold down the fort while Giannis may have late missed some games. Chris Middleton tried to work his way back from injury. Like, he's one of those thread players that will never get the full credit that he deserves. And when I mentioned Drew, I was talking to my sister, Neka. NECA is two years older than me, and she was in the same McDonald's class as Drew. So Neka is, like, very titan like you know they they're like on the same timeline and everything and that's the thing she mentions like there's some nuances to this trade that may not be so obvious that i look forward to see materializing when nba season starts
0: um i i when i look at these two teams against each other i actually find more slight matchup advantages on paper that i like for boston um if you had ranked, if you rank the players just on sheer talent, like I said, uh, Boston has two, probably four and five with Jalen Brown and Drew Holiday. Then Middleton is sixth, and if if the Bucks are going to win a head to head series against Boston or win the title, period, Chris Middleton's got to be in the conversation with Jalen Brown and Drew Holiday for four and five in this matchup. And then you have White, Porzingis, Horford, Lopez. You can order them wherever you want. The Celtics have six of the top 10, maybe six of the top nine guys, but the bucks have the two supernova talents at the top. And that's what, that's the interesting clash for me is like, I can sit here and point to all sorts of structural advantages. Boston might have that outnumber those of the bucks, but the bucks have this one big, just super weapon they can throw at anybody. But i um, but let's flip it. I want to hear your take. What does Boston have going for it in this matchup?
2: In this matchup, I believe they have, hmm, I think it's, I mean, the simple answer is depth. The simple answer is uh, cohesion, right? The simple answer is less problems strategically. And I'm talking about potentially in the postseason, right, where teams scheme differently it's harder to scheme against Boston. It might be a little bit easier to scheme against the Bucks, particularly with Giannis's limitations. But you bring in Dame Lillard to fix that. I think that's the thing that makes it an equalizer. Because Dame is not just offense in the first, what, 30 or so minutes. He's, he's offense for minute 47, for minute 48, right? And so I think that is the nuance that sort of makes it very hard to go head-to-head. But you asked about the Celtics, and one thing that I do like is that I mean, we, we talk a lot about like the development, the, the youth, right, relative to the Bucks, But I just do think that it's it, you just envision this perimeter where Drew is, you know, guarding at the top of the key. You've got JB to the left or JT to the right. And then if Porzingis is able to turn into something consistent, knowing that they have not necessarily had the most center production, at least offensively, The unicorn is, like, the X factor here. If he's able to, and I always say, like, you know, and I'm not saying Przingis is a role player, but role players win you games, stars win you series. Well, series are definitely predicated on a role player playing, you know, above and beyond. If he's able to play above and beyond at the right time and touch his potential, that to me is where my Boston Celtics focus is. Like, we talk a lot about the perimeter, but – I know there's, we have some trust issues with how like things could go for Perzingas, but him, his development, his intensity, his purpose, his hunger, his drive, that to me is going to be the catalyst for what becomes a battle of, okay, I have a big man that can stretch the floor versus Giannis. You know, like that's where those strategy plays happen, come deep in the playoffs.
0: To your point, when I think of advantages for Boston, I think of three things. Number one, I mean, I just don't know how Milwaukee's perimeter defenders are matching up against Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, and Drew Holiday. The answer yep. used to be weaponized Drew Holiday. He now plays for the Celtics. <laughs> and by the way, if you put, like, Damian Lillard on Drew Holiday or Malik Beasley on Drew Holiday or, uh, you know, whoever, like, all of a sudden, Drew Holiday's got, like, the third best perimeter defender on him. He, that That's when, like, the bully ball Drew Holiday drives start to work a little better. So that... That worries me um, for, from the Bucks' perspective. The second thing is um, when Boston plays with one big, whether it's Horford or Przingis, and maybe in this matchup it almost has to be Horford because he's got to guard Giannis. And if he guards Giannis, the Celtics have put wings on Brook Lopez before. They're comfortable doing that. You want to throw the ball to Brook Lopez. Maybe he punishes us. Maybe he doesn't. But they've done it many, many times. I do think the Celtics are going to have to see how Jalen Brown can guard Giannis, particularly if they want to play Porzingis is the only big which they should. I think Drew Holiday will get some chance. Like this is just life. You don't you don't have Grant Williams. You gotta you gotta make it work. When they go one big, like four legit shooters, and one big. Now all these all their top six, really all their top nine are three point shooters. All their top six are really good three point shooters. But when it's four perimeter guys and one big, it's just like Al Horford is still kind of a slow release. Three points. That's slow, but he's not like quick trigger, off the dribble, yeah, contested no, it's, it's like set. these guards. And these, Porz- even Porzingis is super quick release. The Bucks' defense without Drew Holiday is almost completely dependent now on the two headed monster of Giannis and Brooke Lopez at the basket. I'm interested to see how that looks when the Celtics really stretch it out. Like if it's Horford at center and White, Tatum, Brown, Holiday, who's Giannis guarding? Giannis is.
2: Like- Sorry, Zach, I and I think, I don't, I don't know if people even think about this, maybe as a player, I think about this, but like the institutional knowledge that Drew ha- has on the Bucs, like that actually like, you know what I mean? Like in, in games that matter, and we're talking about like who would edge, you know, who out in a series, the institutional knowledge that Drew has to go up against the Bucks, I think might be interesting because that edge might not be as, you know, it's greater than probably the institutional knowledge that. To stop Drew, if that makes sense, because of the talent on the perimeter that the Celtics have can sort of neutralize.
0: What I said, I, I, who is Giannis guarding in those stretchy Boston lineups? I don't mean like Giannis is one of the five best defense players in the NBA. (laughs) Historically, he has preferred to guard big guys so that, or not total non-shooters. So he can hang around the rim. He has dabbled in guarding, guarding Jalen Brown when he's had to, or when the matchups dictated that that's been the guy that they said, okay, he and Marcus Smart. If, if you've got to guard a perimeter guy on Boston, those are the guys it's going to be. Well, Marcus Smart is gone, and he's been replaced by a better, more dynamic offensive player, Andrew Holiday. Maybe Derek White, Giannis can guard him. But Giannis has historically preferred big guys, non-shooters, and hasn't guarded the perimeter ball handling quicker guys as well as you would think given how fast and athletic. He just hasn't looked super comfortable doing that. So I like how that lineup can kind of test what is now – the Bucks' most reliable defensive lineup by far is Giannis and Brooke Lopez. I like that. And the 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 third thing for in Boston's cap, so to speak, is, <laughs> yeah, Al Horford's old. Generally been fairly healthy, though. And I feel like the Celtics are better positioned to turn Al Horford into like a 20- 20 to 25-minute game player. The Bucks are really counting on Brooke Lopez, who's going to be 36 this season, like to win the championship against the best teams, they're like as currently constructed, they're counting on Brooke Lopez to be as awesome as he was last season on both ends. Might have been the best season of his career. And to do it for like 30 plus minutes every game against the best teams. And they're counting on Middleton, who, by the way, Adrian Griffin just spoke to reporters. I don't know if you saw this while you were hosting the show. Chris Middleton did not, is not practicing full go with the Bucs right now. Cause he's still recovering from whatever knee thing I think he had in the off season. And like Adrian Griffin, it was a very weird Q and a, the transcript is up. He kind of hedged. Like, is he going to be ready for opening day? We think so. He's progressing. Those two being so relied upon, it doesn't scare me. Cause they're both really good. I just feel better about the durability of most of Boston's best guys, which sounds weird. Cause Porzingis is not durable, but I, I think both teams have a lot to bring to the table. I think Boston has maybe one or two more like strategic advantages, but like I said, the Bucks have the trump card, which is that two man game. Like I, I just cannot wait to see these two teams play.
2: Yeah, I'm, like this was. I, I screamed when the the trade happened. I was like, oh my gosh, can we have an emotion? Like this is huge. I agree. I think the Bucks have the power, but I mean, that's that tale as old as time. Is it star power or is it team basketball that will carry things over? And so we'll just see. But I do think that the urgency is going to be interesting because, I mean, Giannis wants to win now. Dame wants to win now. Dame uh, and Giannis are on the same timelines. I mean, the way that they have constructed the Celtics is to win now. They've come so close. And so it'll be interesting to see at that time when, you know, the rubber hits hits the road. It's going to – it might just come down to mentality. And I know that's a weird answer, but I'm a player. Like it might come down to who wants this more, who's healthy, available, and wants this more and not necessarily strategy. And also like, you know, it's going to be fun because we have all the narratives because of the trade.
0: I can't wait to see it. I already did the trade recap thing. I'm not going to overdo it. Every day that passes, the more I like the holiday trade for Boston, even more than I did when it happened. Obviously, I like the Dame trade for Milwaukee. we were all
2: hoping that would happen for the chaos.
0: I'm talking (laughs) about the most recent trade. I, I like it. More and more as it goes. I actually thought of it it feels like such distant history, but I wrote a column last whenever, I don't know when the hell it was, I've lost all track of time, arguing <laughs> that if I were the Celtics, I would probably not trade Jalen Brown in a Kevin Durant deal. Remember, that was like the rumored offer. Yeah. It was like Jalen Brown plus Derek White plus a boatload of draft equity or whatever it was gonna end up being. And I, I said, uh, there were a couple of main things. I said, number one, I just don't like trading like eight, nine years up in age. It makes me nervous. KD's KD, like he's unbelievable. He's one of the 15 best players of all time. Jalen Brown's not going to be there. Um, but I still don't like trading up eight or nine years, knowing even that Jalen Brown was about to receive a gargantuan contract extension. And, and I'd forgotten about this. So if you keep Jalen Brown... I You also keep the flexibility of instead of trading Jalen Brown for a star who's better than him, adding a third star. Now, you could quibble as Joe Holiday a star. Like, I thought he was an All-NBA player last year. Adding a third star to Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. And that's ultimately what the Celtics have done while keeping all their first-round picks other than the 2029 pick. And they have a swap to the Spurs, a bunch of second-round picks. Like, I don't think they're done adding to the team. And the Bucs just straight up were like, how about we add – one of the <laughs> 10 best offensive players in the last 15 years of the NBA, like a walking top five offense all by himself, who happens to compliment our best player in a pick and roll. And also I'm, I'm excited to see things like I'd like to see them enter the ball, to Giannis at the elbow and have Dame run little split actions with Chris Middleton. Mm. Like he used to do that with CJ McCollum in Portland sometime. Like good yep. luck. How about Giannis setting an off ball screen for Dame while like Brooke Lopez handles like there's like infinite variety of what they can do.
2: I love it. And I think that when this started and the trade with Dame was announced, I'm pretty tight with Dame. And so I just shot him a quick text. And I was like, hey, Dame, I know a lot's going on right now, but I would just want to check in with you. And he said, hey, I appreciate it. But I'm still processing. You know, the reason why this all worked is because everyone's interests aligned. And sometimes your interests are not what you say. They're what fate beholds, Right. Dame's interest was obviously to be in Miami and people forget that as a player, when you put that out into the universe, you already have started mentally visualizing yourself. Oh, hey, like I'm a player of this caliber. I deserve to be able to like, you know, dictate my destiny, especially after being as loyal to the soil that he had been in Portland. And so when I texted him, he was saying that he was processing and that just reminded me that this is when the world works well, right? And I know that we just saw what Lauren Holiday, the amazing athlete and wife of Drew put out there about the human aspect of trades. I do think that even though that is a reality, it all worked out to where everyone has a real chance to compete and if you talk about each guy involved, Dame, Giannis, Drew, that is their number one interest to be valuable, to be contenders, and so, even though it's not what Dame envisioned, you know, with, I, I don't know, I was going to say my ties in South Beach. I'm not like that great with that type of stuff. But like, and Giannis saying, hey, I need to win a championship. These are healthy decisions made by franchises, particularly the Bucs and obviously the Celtics. We know Portland has a way to go to get back to contention. I love this healthy process because more often than not, when these things happen, it ends up breeding some kind of discontent or just side effects, teams making really desperate decisions. I mean, we see what's happened between Brooklyn, Philly, like the trans everything that's transpired with James, like it never really feels good and it feels like it's not going to end out working well. I think this one worked out well, not only just for basketball fans but also for the players, even if it was not what they originally designed,
0: and what's cool about the regular season is we get to see not only how the top players on both these teams, figure out how to amplify each other. The coaches figure out how to use everybody together. We also get to learn a lot about the benches of both teams because they both sacrifice depth. So like the Celtics, we're going to see mm-hmm. Richard and Sam Hauser and Luke Cornette, the bucks, like, can they turn Beauchamp into something? Can Crowder reemerge as a rotation piece for them? Portis is Portis. He is what he is. He's amazing. He's a <laughs> sixth man. We know that uh, we're, we we get to learn all about these guys and it's going to be fun. By the way, you just articulated, I was going to ask you what you thought about why, um, you know, the the Clippers for instance were standing in a place where they do we go all in for Drew Holiday and I don't know exactly what the Clippers offered or do we kind of hold out and hope we get another guard maybe specifically the dude with the beard for a lesser <laughs> price and I heard another podcast sort of rhetorically ask like why does nobody want James Harden? Why was there this like complete crazy bit not crazy but just very frothy bidding war for a 33-year-old guard on an expiring contract and nobody wants this other 30, not nobody, but like there's limited interest in this other 32 year old or whatever he is guard on an expiring contract. And I, and I just think if he's on an expiring contract, I'm either um, just getting him for a small period of time or I'm, uh, so I'm sacrificing assets to, to, to quote rent him or I have to pay him a lot. And if I pay them a lot, I have to live with the reality that it just ends badly. It seems to end badly in every place. Like, why do I want to deal with that? Um, You said processing, processing. Uh, Other bit of breaking news today: Joel Embiid said he's playing
2: (laughs) smooth with it
0: for Team USA, (laughs) spurning France. I I guess spurning Cameroon. Cameroon is not qualified for the Olympics. Spurning it as well. Yes. um, Look, obviously. The USA is not taking these FIBA World Cup defeats and these fourth-place finishes and seventh place finishes. We're not taking it sitting down, Cheney. We're bringing everybody. <laughs> we're bringing the whole gang. We're, we're recruiting other guys that we're going to go to the other teams. Uh, Bam Adebayo said he's willing to play. Um, he's a great international big man. Do we bring all three of Joel Embiid, Bam Adebayo, and Anthony Davis as big men? We only get 12 spots, but we haven't. We. I'm going We. USA number one. We haven't lost oh, the Olympics. <laughs> we haven't lost the Olympics since 2004. We're bringing everybody. But I wanted to ask you about this because you also have – you've played for Team USA, but you also have had the opportunity to play for Nigeria. Um, and I just sort of wanted to get your take on, like, were you were you surprised this is where Joel landed? And what's your personal experience sort of debating a similar decision been like?
2: Yeah, I think that this is – I understand why Joel made the decision he made. You know, my family, we are all hoopers. My older sister, most notably, playing with Team USA uh, at a high level. But the reality is, is that when you make these decisions as an adult, it's much more complicated. And I say that because as children growing up in Houston, Texas, we were courted by the Nigerian national team to potentially play for Nigeria. And we also were courted by Team USA to play. And the reality is, is that the infrastructure for basketball has really dramatically changed over the last 20 or so years internationally where now people actually have a real meaningful choice in that, you know, before it was like, oh, you know, there were a lot of hurdles and barriers to entry to be able to compete and represent a different heritage. You know, just quite simply like, oh, where are we going to practice? Where's the gym? Like there are also like you can see it in the news, the institutions, like the players sometimes fighting against the institutions so that they can compete at a high level. 20 years ago, it was very difficult to make that choice. The choice almost made itself. The fact that as an adult, he can make that choice, Joel Embiid. I mean, it just shows you where where his life is. And, you know, I think you get to a point where you want to win. And if you're Joel, you're the defending MVP. You are someone that wants to win a championship, but you're you're caught in the middle of some situations here in Philly. Situations. That right that's that's like- a good way to put it. Caught in the
0: middle of some situation. <laughs> he's been in a situation, a 10-year-long situation with the Philadelphia 76ers.
2: I know, right? He's in the middle of a situation. And so he's coming off of a hotly contested MVP that he won. He wants to win. He knows that his time, especially, you know, being as a healthy player and like, trying to push in his peak in his prime, like, why not go and get this championship here, especially as I'm building a life here, knowing that his life has changed, you know, in amazing and blessed ways here in the US. So that decision does not surprise me. But I do relate to the difficulty as an adult to make that because, you know, France is a part of him and Cameroon is a part of him the same way Nigeria is a part of me. And my decision and my family's decision was very different. But it's all it's all understood. And, and by nature of this decision, my gosh, like the depth of the U.S. centers is so great because, you know, you look at the front court that could potentially be Anthony Davis and Bam Adebayo and Joel Embiid and those guys all defensively bring it like Bam switching AD blocking. I mean, I think the Lakers had the number one defense when AD was on the floor. And then you bring in Joel Embiid, who's fully capable of pushing those numbers similarly. And then offensively, they all have different skill sets, which, you know, going up against a team, it's very, very hard to play against a team where the next guy at that position that subs in or the next woman that subs in at that position is a different skill set. You have to activate a different portion of your brain. So that versatility is going to be really great. Nonetheless, that decision was probably not easy for him, but it was a decision probably based on the context where I want to win and this might be the best place where I can control what I can control and win and accomplish some version of winning while I'm in this situation.
0: Well, they better win because they're going to be loaded and they're going to have to bring it because Serbia is going to have Jokic most likely, and hopefully, knock on wood. You know, France is the host country. Canada is legit good now and may add a couple, like if they add Jamal Murray and Andrew Wiggins to the team that came third in the World Cup, they're not to be trifled with. And like one of these, couple of these European countries who haven't qualified Like if Spain and Lithuania get in, like you got to bring it against those teams. Pressure's on. You don't want to go and lose. No, you Uh, don't. Quick flip of topic. Do you have any reaction to a unusually early contract extension that caught people by surprise? This is going to be the sticker shock that we have to get used to. Devin Vassell, five years, $146 million. Did you guys talk about this on the show at all?
2: We didn't. We did not talk about it on the show. I saw it, and I did have a little bit of sticker shock. But I'm never one to get in front of somebody's money. Okay, I'm not a you know. But I, it was interesting. I saw it, and I flagged it, and I and I and I'm happy for every everybody to get their coins. Is that a diplomatic way to talk about it? I'll then
0: I'll talk about it. Um, Please, <laughs> Devin Vassell is the most under the radar good player in the NBA. And that is going to end soon because he's going to be on the radar because of Victor Wembanyama. He's going to be on TV more. Average 18.5 points a game last year. Only played 38 games. He's a lights-out catch-and-shoot three-point shooter. He ran a whole boatload of pick-and-rolls last year. I think more than he's going to run when the Spurs are like an actualized good team. But it's a useful skill set for him. He could average 20 this year. He came into the league as a 3-and-D guy. He's going to be better than that. More than that. The D hasn't quite been as up to expectations. I think he's got the tools to be. But that's never
2: the priority when you are trying to rebirth yourself in next to Webbing Yama. That comes later, but continue, Zach. Sorry.
0: Well, but it comes later for most young players, right? I mean, like you want to come in the league as as smart as the league has gotten points. Equal money is like still the most. And that's
2: how we got to where we are today.
0: It's an undefeated equation in contract negotiations. Points equal money. I think Devin <laughs> and this contract, like the number looks big. It's $30 million a year. Someone posted the cap projections. It's going to be like 15% of the salary cap by the middle of the contract. It's a great contract. Devin Vassell is a very good player. He fits perfectly on any good team, and he's just scratching the surface. That's my, the end Wait, of my Wait, but Devin.
2: where you? Did you have sticker shock, though? Did no, you see it? No, because I'm oh, trying
0: didn't. to prepare people for like the cap is going to be $190 million before you know it, and then it's going to cost $200 million and a $30 million contract is going to be like, that's kind of what you pay for a good starter.
2: And you want to get your deal done before the eyes of the world are on you, right? And then if the eyes of the world are on you and you perform at a high level, that makes that even higher and more expensive. But I do think that based off of what we have seen transpire over the course of the offseason in the summer, some people probably did not have this on their bingo card, but that's why having a good franchise
0: Mother's Day is May 12th. That's very soon. It'll be here before you know it. Macy's has the perfect gift guide to make picking something for your mom easy this year. Head to Macy's.com slash gift finder today. That's Macy's.com slash gift finder. Because of the eBay Motors, you're burning a rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Over the last year on NBA Today, maybe over the last two years, I've, I would never do this to you, Cheney. I would never do it. Ooh. Other people on our show have done it. And that is make fun of the Houston Rockets to your face. Your hometown team, the Houston Rockets, who have won 59 (laughs) games combined in three seasons. That's hard to do even if one of the seasons was 72 games, not
2: 82.
0: I'm going to stay quiet until you're done. It's not very many games. I, of course, was never one to poke fun at you. People like the teams they like. And the Houston Rockets, before you were... Born, maybe, were won back-to-back NBA titles. Um, yes, and that's that's one that's my coming of age as a sports fan. Never underestimate <laughs> the never underestimate the heart of a champion. I can't do a Rudy T. Um, <laughs> uh, I wrote a big piece on Jalen Green today, and the generally the Rocket core, specifically Jalen Green. I think he is the single most interesting swing piece in the NBA right now. How he could, he could, the the out, the possible outcomes for him are so wide. He could stay an empty calories chucker, or he could turn into like Bradley Beal and Zach Levine are, are, are popular comps. He could turn into like better than that. And where he ends up on that continuum could really kind of be a, one of the most important things, like, are the Rockets a contender in five years or do we spin five years forward and it's like this kind of fizzled out and they've traded a couple guys and they haven't cracked 50 wins yet and they've got to trade a bunch of other guys for a better player. What do you think about Jalen Green? What do you think about your hometown Houston Rockets as they load up with Shen Goon, Eason, Jabari Smith Jr., Cam Whitmore, Amon Thompson, and the veterans they brought in, obviously.
2: Van Vliet and Brooks, yes, sir. Uh, H-Town, 281-832-713. Stand up right now. Look, I don't need so, yes. area
0: I don't need area codes and slogans, <laughs> Shanae,
2: okay? 281 330 800 Do you know who's saying that? It's okay. I'll tell you. Who? Do you know who?
0: Uh, uh, you're just going to have to tell me. You
2: don't know who? Oh, it's my jokes. Don't worry about that. It's okay. So I love the new stage, the next era. I actually have talked to a number of people in the Rockets organization this past week. Just preparing for the season and preparing for my swag to wear on air. (laughs) You heard it here first. But I like this. And I know we saw some reporting this week about how James Harden, you know, potentially could have been through Stephen A, like an option for them. And he, you know, what happened there and how they passed on that. I understand. I really understand because they're betting on something younger. They're betting on dissociating from the past and nostalgia when it comes to what has the era been defined up to up until now there was an era of the beard right but now it's okay the era of youth it feels like that has finally turned the corner and we believe in that just by nature of the coach and his uh, his ability Imeodoka to develop and to demand basketball not just like you said calorie chucking shots and all that type of stuff it's the format of the team meaning Getting Fred Van Vliet, the reason why through what I've heard is so that Jalen can continue his maturation and growth and Fred can also consist off of the ball. Shangoon is one of the most fun players that people probably don't focus enough on based off of his skill set. Dylan Brooks, it's not easy to go from most hated to most beloved hated. Does that make sense? No, but I'm curious to hear what you mean. So what I mean is that people really put a lot of vitriol behind the antics of Dylan Brooks to the point where they're saying this guy is not going to be signed to the league because he's such a problem and all those things. It's not easy to emerge out of that in a conducive and healthy way, right? But he did so this summer with his play in the World Cup, right? Won some people back. And then I think that has really inspired to some degree the idea that the Rockets are not here to just play games, but you have someone on the floor that is willing to circle some and to compete at a high level and to match up against the best. You know what I mean? And so there's this idea that the Rockets aren't just here existing, they're actually taking a step forward with how they are hopefully being coached and how they have constructed this new roster. And like you mentioned, down the line, this is not about this this exact iteration of the Rockets becoming a playoff team. We know that pieces will come and go in the process, but it's about setting the players up for success and to building a culture that can yield something in the future. Like even if it's just the plan or the playoffs, right? And so, I, I'm, I mean, I'm biased completely, but I am, I do think we've seen the signs that through the team construction, through the coach, through what we've he- heard and also just time being on our side where it's like, okay, all those days where you young little players could run around and do whatever you want and there was no accountability, those days are gone. This is a new time for us where we are building in the right direction. And it does rest on the shoulders of Jalen Green. Like his talent and his motivation, I think those will have to be on par on the same level for this team to grow.
0: So I interviewed Yemei Udoka for quite a while for this story and he is not messing around. Like the stuff he's just <laughs> saying on, on the record, like matter of factly is is like, he, he would just say like, yeah, Jalen took too many like horrible shots over three guys last year. And I was like, Oh, well it's like that. Okay. <laughs> like you're just gonna come out and say this stuff. He used to say it. He's like, yeah, I'll, I'm going to call everybody out and film. I'll bench your ass, you know, whatever. Um, so they're chasing wins this year because they owe this draft pick to the Thunder from the disastrous Chris Paul-Russell Westbrook trade, which was a disaster the moment it happened. Um, I, I just hope we, we in chasing wins that they don't sacrifice the opportunity to learn what some of these young guys really are in the NBA. Now, Jalen Green, I'm not worried. He's going to get plenty of chances to be a lead ball handler, co-lead ball handler Fred Fred VanVleet. We're going to learn about him. I want to learn about like Tari Eason. Like, if you talk mm. to people within, like, I love Tari Eason. He was on my one of my old rookie teams last year. You talk to people within the team, they're like, we we actually think Tari Eason can do a lot more with the ball on offense than he's shown. I just hope we yep. get to see that Jabari Smith Jr. I've been bullish on since the, the day one. he walked in the league. That's the one. I got no worries about him. Shen Goon. I want to see Shen Goon sink or swim defensively late in close games that matter. I don't want to see him benched every single time for Jock Landale because we gotta get this win. So we finish with thirty-seven wins instead of thirty-six. I wanna learn because guess what? I gonna have to pay all these guys not that long from now. And if I pay all of them, all six or whoever of them, it's gonna get really expensive and maybe so expensive that we yep. gotta make some tough decisions. And I know they're like prepared to negotiate hard against these guys. They're not just gonna hand people the max, even their post rookie deal max, just cause you were the top whatever pick and you're playing pretty well. If, if the team it, like they're going to, they just need to learn and I'm excited to see what they learn. I don't, I don't know what to make of Jalen green. I know that I'm higher on him than consensus. I, I mentioned that wide continuum of possible outcomes. Chances are he's not going to hit either extreme end of it just based on his tools alone I would bet on him coming closer to the high end than coming closer to the low end. I, you just can't find guys who can do what he can do athletically.
2: And I think that people don't realize that m- reaching or the actualization of talent can be predicated on your coach. And it can be predicated on the system you're in. And it can be predicated on your teammates. And I think that that... That is the goal of the Houston Rockets to get him to be that. And you don't play around with that. And that's why they got the coach they did. And that's why they brought in the players they did, because they would rather have that outcome than leave it to chance, right? And just say, oh, hey, this guy is super talented and he can make it work, whether we bring in a guy that can be ball dominant like James or we bring in a guy that's off ball. But like that decision probably made much more sense, like, you know, bringing in Fred and all that type of stuff. So, yeah, I mean, I, I I do like the direction Houston's going. I don't have this, like, crazy expectation that, oh, my gosh, they're in the play-in right now. But the best-case alternative is that these players get expensive, and that means they're doing things right. They
0: could make the play-in. I'm not going to pick them to make the play-in. In fact, I think the West is so good, and they're so young other than the veterans, I mean, really the veterans are Van Vliet and Brooks. Like Lando will play, Jeff Green, maybe we'll get in now and then. I don't want to see Jeff Green play that much because that means these other guys aren't playing that much. I just think the West is so loaded that they're actually at risk of the pick they owe the Thunder is top four protected. Their downside is like, oh shoot, are we going to give the Thunder like the sixth pick in the draft? Just because there are so many teams that are so good and they're so young upside is i think if a lot of things went right they could make the play in. i don't think they will but i think they're going to be certainly fun to watch um me say that one
2: more time fun to watch
0: i never made fun of them janae wasn't me it was our meaner our meaner co-workers
2: oh yeah but like for some reason richard switched his mind and was like oh i'm here for the road i don't believe him I don't. oh he was
0: ready to pick them to like make the playoffs if they got brooke lopez which they almost got and there's some hard feelings about that one (laughs) i know uh, the WNBA finals begin on Sunday between the Las Vegas Aces and the New York Liberty, the two super teams who have been eyeing each other. I've, I've dabbled in the WNBA playoffs. It's hard for me to follow the season as closely as I would, as I would like, um, because the NBA season and free agency and the draft and all that stuff, like my job is going on. But I've been watching some games. I took my wife and daughter to a Liberty Sun game one, where the Liberty got a Liberty fan? No, I'm not a fan. I'm a fan of good basketball, and like these two teams are awesome. And I'm hoping to go to game three and maybe game four in Barclays Center. Um, give me, give me the five minute like most most pivotal and or interesting strategic thing that I somewhat parachuting in should be watching when I turn on game one.
2: Love that. So I will be working the WBA finals on site in Vegas and in New York, and it's going to be amazing. I mean, the last time I had this energy was when my sister was in the finals, the sparks versus the Lynx, back and forth a couple years, them going to the wire. So the one thing you should watch for, and Asia has been phenomenal against most, if not all teams, but the Liberty have, posed i think by nature of their composition having a post player like jonquil jones that is just you know physical and you know loves to get downhill on the rim but then also switching out there and having to guard stewie who was a pick and popper that has been more difficult than people expected because candace parker used to offload some of that that um that she used to like shoulder some of that load now it's all on asia's shoulders because
0: candace parker's injury what is her injury
2: uh, I believe, I think it's ankle foot-ish, okay. right?
0: She's she's out, sure. right? She's out the series?
2: Yeah, I'm pretty sure, yeah. I think, you know, the goal was to hopefully have her be available, but I'm pretty sure she's out. Yeah, I mean, unless there's some breaking news or something like that. So if you're going to watch one thing, I think you're going to watch, the obviously the posts, and it's going to come down to the MVP candidates, right? Like Stewie versus Asia. And I think styles make fights, right? The way that the game is played, the style in which the game is played, will determine the champ because Asia is so good one-on-one she's really good in the mid-range and Stewie is more system pick and popper and facilitator if the game goes more systematically like the New York Liberty through the hands of Courtney Vandersloot who's like a system point guard technical whiz I
0: told my daughter I was like I want you to watch see see Vandersloot (laughs) see Sloot I want you to watch her pass. Like when we went game, I was like, I want you to watch some of the passes that she makes.
2: So I played against her and when she played at Gonzaga, you know, West Coast Battles. And like, she's been consistently just straight up a wizard. And so if the game, the style is played to more of that way, you know, system, offense, flow, I think it's going to play to Stewie's hand. And it's going to play to JJ's hand. But if the game is played towards, transition, breakdown, one-on-one, that plays more to Asia's hands. So I think just watching the pace and watching the cadence, if I'm New York, I'm trying to set up an offense each and every play and play the game that way. If I'm Vegas, I'm trying to not run one play at all. I'm trying to hoop. And so the way that these games are played stylistically will dictate, I think, who wins. So, you know, that's something to watch for.
0: So uh Yukon Husky legend Brianna Stewart was the MVP of the WNBA this year. Uh the three it was a three person race between her and Asia Wilson and Alyssa Thomas, who plays for the Connecticut son. The voting was so close that <laughs> when they released when they like when it got tweeted out, X'd out, whatever we're saying now, I would I, I was like it it was I, I couldn't believe it was like five points, not five votes, it was like five points separated first, second, and third. Asia Wilson got left off a ballot or less left out of the top three on one ballot. Have we identified that person is sweating
2: right now? That person is sweating. If that,
0: if we had a three person MVP vote that close in the NBA, it would destroy NBA discourse for like (laughs) four months. And the repercussions of how every individual voter voted you would be hearing about – it was like so close and apparently quite controversial. Um, did did you vote?
2: No, I didn't. And I want to – well, I'm a player, so.
0: <laughs> oh, that's right. You have but, left, uh, right. What, I, I, I mean, want to vote in a, at media So who would you have voted for?
2: I, I, on the NBA side, I would have wanted to vote. Um, I, I want to vote on the NBA side because I can do that. On the women's side, I'll just tell you who I would have voted for MVP. I would have voted for Alyssa Thomas. I mean, and I maybe I skew a little that way because I played with her before, but for what that team withstood, um, losing Brianna Jones, who was an all-star, and then they set the record for franchise wins, the Connecticut Sun, plus leading the league in assists total and rebounds total, two completely different categories. That was one of those comet in the sky rare WNBA seasons, plus her triple doubles, right. You know, like the same way we talked about Russell Westbrook when he had a sensational season and won MVP, like those seasons don't come few and far between, right? So I would have voted for AT right behind there. It was tough, but I probably would have gone Asia at two and then Stewie at three. But I don't think that anyone was not worthy of winning. I just think that this year when it comes to the most valuable player – the value, what was asked of Alyssa and what she was able to do was just phenomenal. But again, I tell you, I played for the Sun and I know her personally. And so do I know. I know, you know, all these amazing women personally, but that's just where I, where I would have gone. People need
0: to look up the vote totals because it, it was crazy. And it would have like, if people think NBA media is annoying as is in terms of how much they start talking about the MVP and how early they start talking about it in the season. Yes. This was insane. Um, we have to finish with the most important topic of the podcast. (laughs)
2: Are
0: are you ready? Yes. So my daughter, um, has, has gotten into a show. Uh, she doesn't get a lot of TV time, but the TV time she's been given, she has gone all in on a show I had never heard of before called, is it cake hosted by Saturday (laughs) night live comedian, Mikey day, who's very funny. And the show is what it sounds like. Um, people make cakes that look like other things and <laughs> a group of celebrity judges has to guess between like, okay, here are five basketball shoes and one of them is cake or two of them are cake. Can you figure out which ones are cakes? And the baker's goal is to deceive the celebrity judges and get them to guess that a shoe is cake and then they win stuff, I guess. I don't really know. I haven't followed the plot of the show. And so she's watching Is It Cake for the ninth straight day. And all of a sudden I hear yelling, I'm not paying attention. I'm in another room. I hear yelling, daddy, your friend, your friend is on, is it cake? Come here. Your friend is on, is it cake? And I run into the room and there is Chenea Goumake in a pink dress, just (laughs) blaringly pink magenta dress as one of the judges on, is it cake? And when I started telling this story to some people that I know, apparently people, this is a more popular show than I have come to realize so I need to know everything <laughs> about is it cake? How does it work? Were you confident in your guesses that things were cake versus not cake? It, where does this rank on your, I mean, you were just, you, you you were just given an incredible diplomatic honor, which you can talk about. I assume being on is it cake trumps that and all your basketball accomplishments. I need to know everything <laughs> about is it cake.
2: Oh man. Just for like people to know, so I don't have to talk about it too much. Uh, just got named to president biden's advisory council on the the diaspora the african diaspora and so yeah i'll be heading to the white house in a, in a month or so hopefully fingers crossed and so that's going to be a, a new yeah, role for yeah, me yeah but is it cake but is it cake though that's the question is is it cake that show No no fun. in all
0: in all seriousness i tech we already talked about this over the phone that is that is incredible that that is an <laughs> incredible you. position and an incredible honor and actually When you start to think about it, like what a story, what a journey for you and your family. I don't want to minimize that. I just really want to talk about Is It Cake.
2: Absolutely. There'll be plenty of time to talk about all the other stuff. Is It Cake is so much fun. And I was asked to be a judge. I really didn't know my fellow judges until I was like, oh, you're like, you know, I've seen movies with you and I've been like seeing you like on sketches and all that type of stuff. But it was so cool. First of all, it is way harder than you think. Like everyone's like, how did you not know that was not cake? You're so far back that it is very challenging. But I will say this, the cakes taste phenomenal. You think, oh, it's just, you know, display, it must not taste that good. They're like, these are gourmet cakes and I'm not a cake person. I mean, I got cake, but I'm not a cake person. You know what I'm saying? And so it was a blast. And I think you should be a judge. I'm pushing for NBA today to like have a judging panel, Uh, but it was one of the best times.
0: We'll we'll get there. So I just, you get, you get there. These bakers get like 10 hours to make these cakes. Obviously Mm -hmm. you're not sitting there for 10 hours while they make a cake. So you get to the set. Is it like five shows in a row are recorded? Like, how is this actually working?
2: So yes, there's, I believe there were two panels of judges that came in that day, but then I believe they've been shooting for like two weeks straight. And so we come in for the fun part, like the end, like we get to be cute and come in and like you are dissociated from all of the feelings and the toil that is going on with the, you know, with the bakers. So much so that I remember.
0: You don't care. You're just trying to decide, (laughs) is it cake or not?
2: And I'm not going to lie, like the time they ask you to decide, we need more time that was not enough time and i remember we were so excited after getting it right we're like oh we picked the one that wasn't cake That we're like celebrating high-fiving and meanwhile like one of the judges one of the sorry one of the bakers was crying i was like oh snap i forgot you guys have been here and like there's a real prize that can help transform lives y'all let's get information this is serious we can't like be light about this so we literally were high-fiving and celebrating people were crying and i was like y'all this is not good like i thought this was all vibes but yeah, it was really amazing. The cakes are so intricate. they taste even better, and it's not easy. But go, if I go back, I know I'm gonna be undefeated because I'm not gonna let those guys pressure me and be like, oh, I think it's that one. What one of the guys? Why, why um, are your why and
0: I tell I, I tell this to my wife all the time. Why is your like stereotypical male voice? So so brutish. Every time my wife is like imitating me on the phone, she's like, hey bro, what's up, man? I'm like, do I talk? Do we all talk like that? Why is that all the impressions of men are that?
2: It's more fun that way. Like, yeah, I'm not gonna be, you know what I mean? It's just more fun. Just more fun for us because it doesn't sound like us, right? But I had the right instincts on most of them. And then one of our guys was like, Does it smell like cake? I'm like, no, no, no. We really need your thoughts. But it was so funny. We had a good time. It was short and sweet for us, pun intended. And um, I do, next time I go back, I would not celebrate being right because I know that that means someone is going home no, and not I would, I, like would go the other,
0: I would go the he other would way celebrate. and be like the Simon Cowell mean judge of is it Cake. Like I knew all along your cake was phony. <laughs> I'm talking about but like they, if people haven't seen it. They'll line up like you're supposed to make a cake like a computer. I saw one where it was a computer printer. Were you on that show where they had to do like a computer I was not.
2: I was on with- the soccer cleat. I was on the helmet with nachos coming out. Like it was crazy. And so helmet with nachos, soccer
0: cleat, computer printer with like paper coming out of the computer printer. <laughs> they line up six of these things. I'm watching on television. I can't tell which f- one of them is cake and which is an actual <laughs> printer. And then Mikey Day like takes a butcher knife to a printer, and it's like, I can't cut this, it's not cake. That, that That's the whole show. It's a very simple concept.
2: And then you start mentally playing with yourself, like, okay, that one is so plain that there's no way that that, you know what I mean, wouldn't be cake. So you start being like, the, your brain naturally would say like, oh, that one looks completely different, but now you're justifying these things because you're overthinking it, and that's what happened with us, particularly with the helmet. So it, it, the helmet got us, but I I hope that one day our NBA Today crew, you, myself, Perk, Malika, we can go and be judges, and honestly, well, just dark. do it for the food because when we ate it, it was just like, oh, this is a dream. Can I take this home with me?
0: This was my last. My last question was, like, I don't want to. I don't want to leverage my friendship <laughs> and, and connection with you. Please do. I, I'm now. I'm one step away from maybe being a judge on Is It Cake, and let me tell you something. Absolutely. If. Forget whatever accomplishments I've had as a father in my career, whatever. If I appeared on Is It Cake, that would be it for my daughter. Like that would be that <laughs> would be if she saw Daddy on Is It Cake, that would be the best thing that's ever happened in my life. Let's make it so happen. We, we gotta get me on this. and by the way, I think I'm gonna be pretty good. I I think I'd be a good locker room presence, like Better good chemistry. You. Um yep. I, I think I'd be pretty good. It's a it's a fun show. Okay, chene did we not hit did we hit it? did we Forget anything that we're supposed to hit? No. I thought that was a blast. All right. We'll do it again soon. I will see you. So I will see you. I might see you at game three of the
2: WNBA finals. Yeah, you will see me there. You better. I want to see. We can hang out.
0: Um, Jhenea Gloomake, just unbelievable stuff. People don't understand. Like She's on our shows all the time, giving great opinions, being funny. And then on a day like today, Malika Andrews is in the Bay Area for the announcement of the WNBA expansion team that the Warriors are going to own. And it's like, okay, so Chiney, can you just step into the, the host chair? RJ does it every once in a while. People do not understand how big of a difference there is between being on the show and hosting the show. It's like so much more of an enormously, like just the number of things you got to keep track of and in your ear and you got to walk here. And you just do it seamlessly. I don't know how you do it. If they asked me to host the show... <laughs> it, it would not, it would not. I would trip and you're fall. Lying. You I'd do that, the you're doing place. that right
2: now. No. It's you got different. It.
0: There's one camera and it's on my laptop and it's just one person. Shine <laughs> Gloomake, um, thanks for stopping by.
2: Anytime.
0: For the ones who get it done. Granger offers high quality supplies and solutions for every industry as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facility safe and your people safer call or click granger.com or just stop by spring is the best time to add new challenges to your training just in time for summer and warmer days it's also the best time to either take a new look at your fitness routine dial on up a notch and continue powering on peloton's varying class lengths were designed with your personalized training in mind whether you'd like to add a 10-minute course session at the end of your strength class or take a 60-minute power zone ride to increase your endurance Peloton classes help you focus on your needs and goals. They are also made to challenge you with a variety of classes like boot camps, boxing, okay, full body strength, marathon training, all created to grow your skills or push you to improve in what you already excel in. Peloton's expert coaches and nonstop vibes, hashtag vibes will push you to new levels of strength and endurance, keeping you on your toes while giving you the professional coaching you need. With a wide variety of options, whether you prefer to run outdoors, row or ride at home or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. Get your head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. That's OnePeloton.com. All right, it's time to talk Sacramento Kings basketball. Kind of feel like not a lot of people are talking about the number three-seeded team from last year's playoffs. 48 wins, surprise story. Over-unders are set at 44 and a half this year, and I was not a betting man, but I was I was telling everyone Kings are going to smash the over-under last year. It was like 33 or something. I kind of think they're going to smash it again, and I'm pleased to welcome in – how many years in the NBA, Matt Barnes? Like 17?
1: No, uh, I got paid
0: for 16, played 14. NBA champion, my mom's favorite NBA television analyst. Uh <laughs> co-host of the wildly successful All the Smoke um, and going to be working. How many Kings games are we talking about this year? 50 games. Wow. Yeah. Matt Barnes, Oakland A's fan, California legend. How are you, sir?
1: I'm well, Zach. Thanks
0: for having me. Uh, I said my piece, man. I feel like the Kings losing that Warriors series and the West kind of loading up. I, I kind of feel I, no one's sleeping on the Kings. I don't want to be that guy's like, Oh, they're sleeping on this team They're sleeping on that team. I You, you don't like I, we even on um, NBA today, yesterday, like they did the top f- five or six odds to win the Western conference. It was like Denver, Phoenix, Lakers, Warriors, Clippers were on there. I'm like, Kings nowhere to be found. Playoff equity. We'll see. I don't see any reason why this team should not win a lot of regular season games. Again, i I I, I, maybe it's just because they lost in the first round. Man, if you look back at that series, I forgot how wild that series was. Game one, two reviews, the Warriors win in seven games. Game one, Wiggins and Curry both missed game-winning threes for the Warriors. Mm-hmm. Game two, stomp. Game three, Draymond suspended. And if you talk to people within the Kings, you've probably heard this. They're like, I don't know if we were kind of prepared for what that atmosphere was going to be like. In San Francisco, we might have, like, kind of gotten a false sense of confidence because Draymond wasn't going to be playing in the game. He was suspended. Game four, one of the wildest first-round playoff games ever. Curry calls the Chris Webber timeout. So, apologies to Chris Webber. I love Chris Webber. That they don't have. Then... Uh Curry with the Warriors like ahead in a game they should win, shoots way too early when he could have run almost all clock down. Mm-hmm. Harrison Barnes gets a fantastic look at a game-winning three that goes out. Darren Fox breaks his finger, tip of his finger in game five. Game six, one of the most impressive wins that I can remember from a young team. The Kings stave off elimination by blowing the doors off the Warriors in San Francisco, and then Curry scores 55 in or 50 rather in game seven. Kings can't make a shot wild series kind of think the Kings win that series if Fox doesn't get injured. And then I think every, then I think everyone's outlook on them is different right now.
1: I think Zach, I mean, you, you made a, a ton of good points and I get chilled even hearing you kind of just go down member lane on, on, on what the series was about. But I think more than anything, that loss was a learning experience for this team. Uh, this team was extremely young. Um, from a standpoint of just experience, uh, playoff experience in particular. You know, when you looked at that Warrior team and the dynasty they've had and the great the success they've had, the Kings have had an, absolutely none of that. You know, a few players had, had touched the playoffs. Harrison obviously won the championship with Golden State, but it was a new ex, new space for them. And I think they learned a ton. I mean, you know, as you mentioned, when they went to game three and four in the Bay Area, there were plenty of opportunities for them to win. Just being, not being able to close games and execute in crunch time was something that came back and bit them in the butt. But again, I think that was just a great experience. And it kind of reminded me, and I'm not saying they're going to go on this kind of run, but it kind of reminded me of when I was with Lob City and we were the last team to beat that Golden State team um, that year, Donald Sterling got kicked out of the league. And we they took us to a tough seven games. And the next thing you know, they that you know they were on their run. But I think it was, you know, us matching up against them so many times. We were somewhat, you would say, like the big brother, because they were such a young team. And once they got over the hump of of us you know they they you know they had a lot of success so i think this is you know first round exits uh particularly to the warriors i think it was just a great learning experience um the outlook on you know how you know whether people are excited or kind of under I, I don't think they care you know i think mike brown has these guys ready to play you know their goal is to play faster and more physical this year um you see they didn't make any huge jaw-dropping you know summertime moves but i don't really feel like they needed to they re-signed the guys they needed to resign they have Sasha coming over, and they're huge on him. I think an underrated pickup that people aren't talking about is JaVale McGee. I think he is a, a winner, a champion, and a desperate or, you know, uh, needed to feel a, a front-line void that this team just hasn't necessarily had, um, you know, since they've developed, you know, this new team and and, and, and been good. So, you know, along with Chris Dorote, um, all these guys, all the guys over there last year have another uh, year under their belt. Um, although you don't put much. Into the summer league, Keegan Murray looked like a man amongst boys in the summer league. And I think he, you know, kind of came out of his shell a little bit more as a player and as a vocal leader. Um, I've heard that about great things about how De'Aaron Fox, the, the knock on Fox when I first got there is he's very to himself. He doesn't really talk to the team. He doesn't do this. He doesn't do that. Well, all that's been dispelled. And, and Mike Brown was singing his praises the other day at Media Day, how he was there the entire summer working with all the younger guys, giving them game experience, spending time with them, but really took Keegan Murray under his arm and really try to just break the game down and and really help Keegan in any way possible. So I'm excited for this team. Uh, Again, I mean, we live in a league now where stars are on the move and everyone gets really excited with big moves as they should, but you also have to account for chemistry. And I know this team is going to have some of the best chemistry in the league.
0: They proved a number of things to me by taking the Warriors to the limit in a series where like they were underdogs, despite being home court advantage, higher seed. Mm -hmm. Number one, Fox is a dude. Fox is a stud. Fox is ready for the biggest moments. Fox, I mean, for clutch player of the year, whatever, like it translated to the playoffs until he broke his finger. Like you could just feel the Warriors defense being like, this guy is, this guy's a problem. Like, should we guard him with Draymond? Should we guard him with Wiggins? Like, what can we actually do to contain this guy's speed? Number two, they were the best offense in the NBA in the regular season. Their offense slumped in the playoffs. They shot 42% overall, 31% from three. Nobody could make a shot from three, basically. Mm -hmm. Kevin Herter, I don't know what the hell Mm -hmm. happened. Even Malik didn't, who was great up (laughs) and down at least, didn't shoot well from three. And yet still, they imposed their stylistic will on that series. They played as fast as they wanted to play. They pushed hard. And the flip side of their offense slumping, you could come away from that series wondering, how far can this team get with Fox and Sabonis kind of is, as center field and catcher or whatever, the, the up the middle on defense? And, and we know that Domas has a certain limitations as a rim protector. You can come away thinking that, and that's fair, and we can talk about that. They defended the Warriors pretty well by the numbers. And I remember in that series, and I was looking back at my notes, like they were on it when the warriors have run their split actions, their inverted pick and rolls with Steph screening for drama, like all the Warriors'y stuff that confuses everybody. Yeah, it got the Kings now and then the Warriors won the series and Steph went crazy in the end. They scored 111 points per 100 possessions in those 7 games the Warriors did. That was like a bottom 8 level offense in the regular season. The Kings, for all their personnel limitations or maybe alleged limitations, like, they were on it in that series. They were ready for an atmosphere and a team that is really hard to be ready for. And I know they lost the series. And you could you could come out of that series with questions about Sabonis if you want. He had a bad offensive series. Looney beat the hell out of him on the boards. Hell, you could come out of, of the regular season and the 48 wins. And the and you mentioned the no big roster tweaks. You could, you could spin that as, oh, now they're the hunted. Now they're not the hunter. They're the hunter. And maybe that's true. You could also spin it as they're going to enjoy the benefits of having been together, continuity, and the experience they have together. And for me, Matt, I don't know about you, but all those benefits outweigh the questions. Like They prove themselves to me, and I think from talking to them, I think they're kind of hungry to prove it again. I think they know that there's a skepticism about them, and I'm taking the over. Let's put it that way.
1: Yeah, I agree. I I think they want to show it's not a fluke. Uh, where you sometimes you're a darling and come back and next year and you're you know you're on people's radar and they they mow you over. Uh, I highly doubt that's going to happen with this team. I mean they're just a hungry bunch of guys. And and to your first point about them being so prepared, I mean you got to credit Mike Brown. You know what I mean. And the one thing I said going into that series was, will the Kings struggle because they pretty much run the Warriors' offense. Mike Brown bought that 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 offense and style and high pace right up Iowa, Highway eighty. From Oakland, or excuse me, from San Francisco, and and dropped it right in Sacramento. You know what I mean. So when it came down to running and executing, these guys were kind of playing each other's style. You know what I mean. And and we, as we alluded to earlier, there was plenty of opportunities for Sacramento to win this series. Um, and I think they know that. Um, so I think that has these guys hungry. And and to your other point, just chemistry. Chemistry is huge, and I think because we live in such a league now where the big moves that there are the flashy moves are are, are always happening but people don't understand how hard it is to to, to make some of those moves blend and, and gel and work um and again with sacramento not making any huge moves adding quality pieces um as management has done over the last two or three years um, this team is definitely going to be ready to answer any and all questions and with a loaded western conference uh, but there's still a lot of moving pieces with the load, this loaded Western Conference because a lot of these teams, you know, added, you know, a, a lot of guys that are going to be in key roles for them.
0: Yeah, look, nothing is guaranteed for hardly anybody in the West. I mean, probably Phoenix and Denver. And that's it. I mean, you could see every other team being like one injury away from mm-hmm. 11th place in the Western Conference. And and the other thing you hear about the Kings as well, you know, they had perfect injury luck last year. Nobody missed any games will that repeat itself? And yeah, that was true in a game's miss sense. Part of that is because DeMontis Sabonis made the decision. Like, I'm just going to play the whole season with a broken thumb. My like my, goodness, like my, right. my hands all up. I'm going to keep on playing like that. Mm-hmm. That also mattered. My big question. I have a couple big questions, but let's start with the biggest. This team was 24th in defense last year. And I mentioned that I was impressed with the way they, they hung with the Warriors. Um, but overall i mean that's only 7 games out of 89 they played they've still got to level up defensively um if you look at their shot selection data you know this like they did a pretty good job not allowing shots at the rim not allowing a ton of threes too many corner threes but like they kind of had an average shot selection allowed teams just were on fire from everywhere the rim threes etc and either that's just baked into who they are, like they don't have a rim protector other than now JaVale McGee, who's going to be a bit player. And maybe some games not play at all. We'll talk about that. And their point of attack defense is just so-so. They're kind of a small team. They're, they're not like a great, like, getting your face contesting team. But you were a very good defensive player for a long time. You cared about defense. You watched defense carefully. What can this team do to get better on defense?
1: I think this is the year the team makes a jump on the defensive side, to be honest with you. I always feel like when I played in the league, picking up a new offensive system or offense was just easier. Yeah, it was free-flowing. It was a little bit more fun. Um, but if you think about the success they had on the offensive end, Mike Brown has been known as a defensive coach. You know what I mean? So I think that's one thing that he probably drilled in these guys over the summer, kind of just talking to them, seeing them around. But definitely I know a, a point of focus in training camp is to be a better defensive team. And if you break it down, I mean, Fox – uh, is a great now that he's committed himself, great on ball defender. Davion Mitchell, arguably one of the best guard defenders. And what I really liked last year that Mike Brown did was he challenged Keegan Murray. He didn't let Keegan Murray hide on anything, he made Keegan Murray guard some of these best guards in the game, uh, you know, stronger, uh, wing players, and even put him down in guarding the power forward at times. So I'm looking for him to take another jump on the defensive side as well. But at the end of the day, you know. Sabonis' lack of athleticism does somewhat hurt them um, on the defensive end. Um, so I think it'll be more about defense on a string, team defense, and actual individual lockup. And if you think about it, that's kind of what the NBA is that, uh, now. There's not a ton of just lockdown guys anymore. It's more team uh, on the line, communicating, second and third efforts, you know, 50 50 balls, all the small things that add to saving and, and getting extra possessions. So um i definitely feel you and and i i know they know that they have to bring up their defensive rating to really have a chance this year i it
0: you you going back to that warrior series it was like a very tactical series it was a lot of adjustments and one of the adjustments you saw was sometimes they would put sabonis over on gary payton the 2nd or moses moody to kind of get him out of the pick and roll and i'm not saying we're going to see more of that in the regular season but i th- i thought it was interesting that that was already kind of in their bag as a switch it up tactic, and they did some stuff. I like the Warriors sold out to take away the Kevin Herter, DHO game with Sabonis, oh, yeah. and they found ways around that. I want to talk more about Keegan Murray because <clears throat> I think he's one of the most important players on their team. Between Barnes and Vizengoff and Trey Lyles, they got a lot of like kind of straight power forwards now who are going to all going to be battling for minutes. Murray is kind of a tweener forward, but I think he's just going to have to play a more perimeter-oriented role mm-hmm. on the team because of that personnel glut, as he did last year. I was super impressed with him. He shot his way out of a slump in the playoffs. Like, the first couple of playoff games, I was like, oh, well, here it goes. Rookies in the playoffs. Shot himself out of that. Um, I'm wondering, like, what have, what have you gotten to know of him personally, just being around him a lot in the offseason, at the end of last season? And, like, what's what's a reasonable— I Expect mean, this guy shot 40% from three last year as a rookie. Like what, what are you expecting this year?
1: One thing I'll say about Keegan is he's very mentally strong. And, and that's tough. And, and Zach, you know you've been around the game for a long time. Number of you, younger players come out at the beginning of the playoffs and literally in that atmosphere where the whole world was watching this King's Warriors series, and he struggled mightily. He knew it. And to be able to turn that around and and salvage the series, but play some really good basketball uh once he kind of got his rhythm. Really says a lot about his character and 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 who he is and 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 what he's about. I mean, he trusted his work. This guy is a gym rat who works very hard. Uh, doesn't say much, but he's always in the right place doing the right things. Uh, he's susceptible to coaching. He's a sponge. He soaks up veteran game from the players, listens to the coaching staff. So I'm again, I mentioned a little earlier. I'm really excited for Keegan Murray because I know Mike Brown is trying to build him into the one of the best three and D guys in the game. But I don't even like to limit his game just to the 3 and D on the offensive side because this guy has shown he can put the ball down on the floor. He can run the pick and roll. He's got a nice touch around the basket, and he's also a playmaker. So for someone who's 6'8", six, 6'8 eight, six, eight and a half, 6'9", with the ability to shoot the ball he uh, the way he has, uh, his versatility on the offensive end I think is underlooked. But I'm definitely looking for him to take a big step on the defensive end because I know Mike Brown, since he got him last year in training camp, has really been drilling that to him.
0: Plus, I mean, we saw this too. You you try to hide a little guy on him. He can get yeah. into the post and get and, and get, yeah. get buckets. He can cut into guys yeah. and get buckets. Like that's an important yeah. thing, particularly yeah. in the playoffs. Yeah.
1: Well, to me, I mean, and again, he's he's honing his skills, but he's a three-level scorer. He in the summer league, you saw him work with his back to the basket on the block a little bit and not only make plays out of it, but score with the fades and the step-throughs and all that kind of stuff. So I feel like he is obviously a developing three-level scorer. So you can't you definitely can't hide anyone on him because he's big enough to hit the glass, as you just said, but he's also, you know, smart enough now and, and and continuing to hone his craft. So he can take someone on the block. And he doesn't necessarily have to score because you remember with this Golden State offense that the Sacramento now is running and kind of adopted, that when you throw the ball to the post, it's not always to score. It's to get into the split actions and the cuts that you know this team does very well. So I'm looking for him to take a huge leap this year and in, in year two for this team.
0: Yeah. And you mentioned Davion Mitchell I just wish he shot a little better because his defense is just incredible ferocious. And if you could play him and Fox together a little bit more, they could slide Fox away from the ball on defense. So he doesn't have to grind, like run through screens every Mm -hmm. single possession. Um, Let's talk about the bench a little bit. Uh, Chris Duarte's here. He's played with Sabonis before. They have great chemistry. I, I, he'll probably be in the rotation. I think he probably starts ahead of Kessler Edwards, who showed some promise for them last year. And then you have this, like, vizankov Lyles backup power forward thing. Um, if you're going to play McGee at the backup five, it just it becomes a numbers game where how do you get those guys playing time? You mentioned they're high on vizenkov and, it's like, he can shoot the hell out of it. They're already raving about him. I wonder if we'll even see, like, Vizenkov and Lyles at the four and the five in some games we saw them go with Lyles at the five toward the end of the worst is that something we can see Mm -hmm.
1: yeah I was I was just gonna say that uh, Zach that you know Trey showed his versatility and and his ability to play both sides of the ball at the five you know what I mean and I was really high I've been a big fan of Trey Lyles uh since I, I played him at the end of my career and his toughness and IQ Spoke for itself, but he was really big and, and spot minutes, you know what I mean? And that was the one thing that we always talked about on the, on, on the broadcast is when, when, when next guy up or always be ready. Mike Brown is one of those coaches because you cannot play two, three, four games in a row and then go in there and play 25 minutes. And every time Trey Lyles came in there, he was an energy guy, he hit big shots, he did the dirty work, uh, he you know, he, he got in people's faces, and it's something that that team needs. So I would love to see. I need to see more Sasha. I've only heard great things. I haven't got a chance to actually see him play. But, the, you know, the way Fox explained the other day, what well, Fox was getting interviewed about him, he said uh, he saw Sasha shoot 150 shots and three-pointers, and he only missed seven of them. I'm just like, whoa, and, you know, that, 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 that's pretty impressive just to do with no defense or anything. That's really impressive. But I, I think to your point, I think we can see, you know, because you you said it yourself, you know, I think Javel, although he's important, he'll be a situational type player for this team so you can definitely see them playing more small versatile lineups and it really just happen to be dogs out there
0: i think this team is for real like i don't i don't that doesn't mean they're going to win a playoff series and by the way they snapped the playoff drought now the next one is 2004 is the last time they won a playoff series so this is 20 years now by the end of the season <laughs> since they won wow. a playoff series i'm i think they're going to be really good they also i mean we're getting ahead of ourselves you mentioned the the continuity, the lack of a big offseason move. They actually kind of salary dumped for Sean Holmes and traded their first round pick along along with him. They used their cap space on a Sabonis extension that's that's big. It's big. And they brought Vizenkov over. Dot dot dot. They have a lot of trade assets. They owe one pick to the Hawks. They can get around that easily. And all the guys they re-signed this offseason, including and maybe especially Harrison Barnes, given his number, become trade eligible in January, February. Like, if they're rolling, they're, they're a candidate for like, all right, let's see what's out there that can help our team, I think.
1: Yeah, that's a great call. And, uh, you know, I really want to take my hat off to Monty McNair um, because he made a huge move. Uh, the, and rarely in this league do you see moves work out for both sides. But to trade Tyrese Halliburton, who was a, a, a team favorite, a city favorite, uh, and to bring in Sabonis, and for both those guys to flourish at their respective teams, now he's not afraid to make the big move, and and, and that's been the thing with the Kings. You know, this being my hometown team, although I played in the league, you know, after Jeff Petrie, you know, management has kind of been up and down as far as being able to secure guys and be honest with guys and, and do what needs to be done to get talent in there. But as you alluded to, I mean, they have a ton of pieces now, a ton of pieces and guys with numbers that, you know, other teams would take in. So it'll be interesting come, you know, January and, and seeing where this team is heading into the all star break if they don't go out there and, you know, make one of these splash moves, which is always hard for these smaller organizations, because, you know, although, you know, they, they, they made the playoffs for the first time in 16 years and it's a great fan base and a great basketball city. Sacramento is just not a destination for free agency. So you have to be really strategic in your drafts and and, in your moves to bring in pieces that complement your guys. So um, I was thinking that, you know, as someone who kind of works for the team, I don't really ever like to like allude to that kind of stuff until it actually happens because I have to see all these guys all the time. But they do have a lot of assets. And, you know, I trust money and and the rest of that, uh, you know, management uh, staff to make moves that are needed uh, if needed.
0: The depth they are deeper this year. And and that's a that's kind of a hedge against if this is the era a key player misses twenty twenty-five games, like they're a little bit better fortified than they were last yeah. year. And they like the Colby Jones kid too. I mean, the kid they drafted, yeah. they like him. They think he might be able to play, you know, spot minutes here and there. Anything else about the King? I mean, look, I don't I'm not saying fifty wins. I'm not saying conference finals. Like in the West, it's just it's yeah. it's brutal. But I think like forty eight wins again. And, and a qualitatively better team or as good or better team, I think that's totally on the table for them. Yeah. And that win total is low to me.
1: Yeah, no, I completely agree. I'm definitely picking the over. Uh, it's funny, the first year I worked for him, it was like 33, and I picked the under. Last year I picked the over because I just felt the energy that Mike Brown had brought to this team and how this team had bought in. So I'm definitely picking over. And if this team stays healthy with their key guys, I see them being Zach in that 47-51 to 51 win um range and then again you never know you know playoffs are all about matchups the west is loaded but by that time they'll be battle tested you know that's the one thing about the West. i mean really you could really say it but particularly the west it's going to be a dogfight the entire year these guys are going to beat to play on each other and they're going to learn each other like the back of their hands so it's going to come down to matchups come playoff time and and, and and you never know what can happen come playoff time
0: well, that's your, that's your biggest argument for the 44 and a half number and the under is just that all these teams are going to beat the hell out of each other. And yeah. so maybe our optimism is a little exuberant, but optimism it is nonetheless. While you are here, I'm going to steal five minutes of your time. Um, you are an observer of the whole league. You have a gigantic, inter, I was going to say national podcast, international worldwide podcast. Give me the quick take now that you've had some days to digest it on the arms race between Milwaukee and Boston. Dame to the Bucks and Drew Holiday indirectly from the Bucks to the Celtics.
1: First of all, Dame to the Bucs, I love it. Um, to me, I love this move more than him going to Miami, um, although Miami is probably arguably, and people always get mad when I talk about cities, are, Miami could arguably be a better city. I think Milwaukee is obviously a better team, and you put Dame with a top, Two player in the game, top three if if, if you want to be picky, and Giannis. But not only Giannis, and you have Chris Middleton, I, who I, I feel like you know needs to have a big year. He's been a little up and down in the last few years with injuries and and kind of stuff out of his control. Uh, what Bobby Portis brings to this team, you know, then resigning Brooke Lopez, um, you know, picking up who's the lefty from Phoenix, the point guard that they just campaign. picked up, probably. campaign who took a little bit, you know, a little bit of time to kind of find who he was in this league, but is a, a very valuable um back up I really like uh what Milwaukee did and to me that puts them top 2 in the east um with all due respect to everyone else uh, on the flip side Boston I like Boston's move but I I, I really think they need some frontline depth um you know I tweeted something the other day where you know they signed Wayne Gabriel and I it wasn't a knock on Wayne by any means cuz I loved his energy I love what he did for the Lakers but I put out a tweet and maybe you can help me cuz you've been in the space for so long I feel like Boston needs frontline help. It's not, you know, unproven frontline help. You know what I mean? I need. They need guys that are going to be able to play valuable minutes. I, you know, Al Horford is, you know, he's just getting long in the tooth. Uh, he was very valuable from the last year, but it's no secret that he's getting older. Um, Porzingis, who's coming off a, a career year, uh, has been, you know, plagued with injury, but we're hoping he's healthy this year. But I really feel like they need some bruisers down there. And, you know, my question to everyone was, was, you know why does the NBA choose to take chances on unproven younger players, and not necessarily because there's a wave of older players, and not just bigs. There's guys all over the league that you know can still. I I feel like still have a little bit of juice in their battery. They just don't take you know the opportunity. And and two guys I brought up were you know DeMarcus Cousins and 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 Dwight Howard in particularly that I felt like could either one of them can possibly you know give them some valuable 15 to 18 minutes a night uh, experience. Hard fouls, rebounding. Uh, if you're Boogie, you know he can get hot at any minute. And then Dwight still the ability to to be strong and rebound and just put a body on people. So I think Boston needs some frontline help. Um, you know, between Holiday, Tatum, and Brown is you know that's one of the best three guard duos in the game. Um, and and for Boston to lose a Marcus Smart but gain a Drew Holiday, I mean that's you know. Marcus was the heart of the team. But if you if you look at, you know, all around players that, that do it on both sides, Drew is one of the best guys in the game at doing that. So it'll it'll be, you know, an interesting season for Boston if they're able to do some do some moves to shore up that front line. But then also their head coach, you know, I think he had a a learning curve. Last year, and you saw him get out coached at times in the playoffs. And, and, and Missoula has, has 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 recognized that and, and spoke to that. And it, everything is a process in this league. You can't just hop in. He was handed a great team in a in a wild, you know, uh, in in a wild manner, and he came in and he just you know at times wasn't prepared. So I just think I don't think there's a ton of question marks. I think obviously Missoula needs to be better as a coach, and I'm sure he will be. But I'm interested to see if they can shore up that front line because given the way Robert Williams. Uh, was big for them, although he was hurt at times that was big, but if you know you lose Robert Williams, you lose Marcus smart and you lose Grant Williams, who is not a huge number guy, but those guys in the locker room know what he meant to that team and and the toughness he brought. so very high on Tatum though I uh, was with, really with Tatum all summer out here. Uh, he trained at the same place I trained at and just looked bigger, stronger, ready, ready to answer those questions that you know people were asking last year about you know, is he ready to you know take that next step so, uh, big fan of that. So I think the Eastern Conference is going to be fun. Uh, really happy that Dane decided, hey, you know, I, I've been loyal long enough. I want to get out there and get a chance to win. And that he landed in Milwaukee with Giannis. Because I think that also saved Milwaukee because we've never really heard Giannis about, you know, st- you know, when you hear guys start talking about possibly leaving, it's only a matter of time. And I think the move by them bringing in Dane definitely saved Giannis's point of view. And we're going to have to see what happens now with that duo.
0: Yeah, I didn't know how to read Giannis's like, I'm gonna sign the extension next year. I didn't I didn't know if that was like an ironclad promise or he was just kind of talking, but it definitely seemed like they uh they made some inroads. Tatum is so interesting because you every time he has like just a so so playoff game, I, I feel like this is it's not unique to him, but he faces this kind of scrutiny and where it's like, Oh, Jason Tatum, another tough big game. It's like, yeah, he did score fifty one in game seven against the Sixers. Game six against the Bucs the year before in Milwaukee was like one of the all-time great Celtic games to save their season. He's proven made man in big games, even though they haven't won the title. Um, I don't think the Celtics are signing Dwight Howard or DeMarcus Cousins, but they are going to look around for some big men. Last question. In your career, I was looking all through the teams you played with, and I couldn't think of one off the top of my head. Did you ever deal with a teammate— situation like what's going on with James Harden in Philadelphia like holdout or reluctant participant or anything like that
1: no um you know luckily the stars I played with were the leaders and organized everything whether it be summertime or in season and 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 led not only verbally but by example and and that's no knock at James uh James has a tremendous talent We actually just talked about this on our certified uh, smoke show with myself, Kevin Garnett, Paul Pierce, Tony Allen, and Steven Jackson. Um, Tremendous talent. Um, Not the player he was, um, but still very, you know, 19, you know, possibly a double double guy. But, you know, we were talking about on the show, and and Kevin said, You only get so many wiggles in this league. I I saw that clip. I didn't see the whole thing
0: yet, but I saw that is a star studded cast, by the way.
1: Yeah, appreciate it. James was, you know, wiggled his way out of Houston. Uh, will his way out of Brooklyn. And now he's trying to whip his way out of uh and uh, Philadelphia. And to James credit, we don't know now as former players what's going on behind the scenes. You know, he's always been very tight with management and promises have been made and promises have been broken. So, I, again, I don't put all of this on James. Um, But at the same time, I, I just feel like as you continue to get older in this career, You really kind of have to walk more of a straight line when you're young and you're a star and you're scoring 50, 50 points, triple doubles. Then you have the city on fire and the league on fire. You're going to be able to get away with some stuff. Uh, But as you continue to get older, you're still making a lot of money. And now you're starting and now the outside noise is starting to overshadow the play on the court. That's when it starts to get dangerous for older players. So, you know, I hope that he gets into a situation where he can show that he still has uh, what it takes to be an elite player in this league. But I just feel like he has to be careful because, you know, you start getting labeled as, you know, someone that's unreliable and, and never happy and complaining and always wanting to move as you get older. That's all teams need to see that to know that they don't want that around their team. Um, I heard a rumor today. Um, I don't know if you saw it, but Stephen A. Smith said something uh, today on their show talking about he almost had a deal with Houston that would have been a max deal but he told Ime Yudoka that he wanted to be back in that leading leading the leading score in the league conversation, and they pulled the deal. So I don't know how true that is. It was on first take this morning with Stephen A. Smith, and I saw Nell's coming up from the gym. I wanted to know if you had heard anything about that.
0: So the Houston interest was was somewhat widely known. Um Woj posted a story on Christmas uh that be- right before the Sixers played that Houston with its max cap space was there was mutual interest between Harden mm-hmm. in a Houston reunion. This was before Ime had been hired as head coach, and there were all these rumblings after. Then the interest dissipated eventually, and there were all the rumblings that, well, that's they hired Ime Odoka, and Ime Odoka wasn't interested in James Harden, and blah blah blah. Um, I, I don't know exactly what the conversations were in Houston's brain trust. Who was driving the bus of, hey, maybe we should look in another direction other than James Harden? Because obviously that conversation happened. They looked in a totally different direction with Fred Van Vliet and Dylan Brooks and not James Harden. I can tell you that I have a story up today at ESPN uh, about Jalen Green mostly and how I'm intrigued by Jalen Green. And Ime is on the record in the story saying, hey, look, like I loved coaching James Harden in Brooklyn. I'm paraphrasing, but like I loved coaching James Harden in Brooklyn. He's one of the smartest players I've ever, ever been around. I saw what he did. For our team. So you would never hear me, Ime Udoka, say, I don't want James Harden on my team. But we looked around at the fit issues that we had on our roster. We think Jalen Green and even Tari Eason, Jabari Smith Jr., Shengun, all these guys need the ball. And it would not be fair to them to bring in a guy who wants to dominate the ball. And it would not be fair to James Harden to bring him in and ask him to play a totally different style. And so one of the reasons we signed Fred Van Vliet, again, I'm paraphrasing email. You can all read the story. The quotes are in there. One of the reasons we signed Fred Van Vliet instead and moved away from James was Fred's more comfortable playing off the ball. He's, he's just, just a, a more comfortable, at ease, off-ball player. And we wanted our guys, especially Jalen, to still have the ball a lot. And, and he concluded by saying, it's not a negative about James. It's not I don't like James. I just, it was just about the fit for our team that kind of dovetails with what Stephen A. Smith said about, you know, does he want to be the scoring champion and have the ball all the time? It's just sort of different different ways of saying a very yeah. similar thing, right?
1: Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. And, you know, this is a young man's league. You know, as, as great as, you know, you've been in the past or, you know, your accolades and your resume, it's about what can you do for us right now and how do you fit in. And with that team being such a young, impressionable team, you have questions. You know, do you want to bring a guy in that is, you know, what is he focused on and, to me, that's the unfortunate part because again, James, uh, IQ off the charts, uh, play you know, great player, one of the best scorers we've ever seen. But we just don't really know where his mind is at these days and, and what type of player he wants to be, uh, uh, in, in accordance to what the team needs him to be. So I think it'll be very interesting. I've heard some whispers that uh, that that there really is some serious talk with the Clippers still. Um, I know he expressed a little bit of interest there. So we'll just kind of have to see where he lands but i hope that he does land in a place where he can be himself and 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 also by being himself makes the team better
0: well you mentioned the clippers and i mean we'll see what happens with them but just just to conclude like you mentioned the wiggling wiggling here wiggling there wiggling out of there whether you're the clippers or any other team this is the conversation going on around the league if i'm going to trade real stuff for this guy and philly wants real stuff he's on an expiring contract And so I'm presented with the dilemma of A, it's either a rental, B, or I got to pay him long term because I traded real stuff for him and I'm not going to just want to let him walk. And C, it just seems to end badly everywhere. Are we going to make that commitment to him (laughs) via trade and then paying him and having want him to wiggle out somewhere else because he's unhappy? Like the reputation is there and it's earned. Anyway, Matt Barnes... Is there anything else that I forgot to mention and promote from your outstanding work?
1: No, I'm just really excited for this, this upcoming season. I think the movement makes the season fun. Uh, You know, teams that are continuing to try to climb the ladder of hierarchy in this league makes it fun. There's a bunch of different storylines and, and get back games this year from guys that have moved around. So I'm just really uh, looking forward to the season starting in a couple of weeks.
0: Hit up the Kings broadcast on league pass. You'll see Matt popping in in and out pregame, postgame during games. Uh, Just, awesome analysis i miss seeing you around more often and and working with you but i still listen and i'm still a fan matt barnes thanks for stopping by
1: zach thanks buddy good to see you